Good. It is me preaching today. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're continuing our mini-series in Ruth. And uh, let, me, let me just bring you up to speed. We, last week, uh, James dealt with chapter 1, uh, saying how Naomi and uh, Marlon and Kilion um, went uh, with... Uh, Together, together went off to uh, Moab because of the famine, how uh, Marlon and Kilion married, but they died. Elimelech, uh, Naomi's, Naomi's husband, died. And I won't go into all the details, but it eventually ended up with Naomi and Ruth returning to Bethlehem. And that is where we pick up the story this morning. I'm going to read you chapter 2. Um, I've been told many times that this is a lovely story, and it is. But I tell you, there are all sorts of things in it that are really quite strange to us. And we'll, we'll have to look at that as we, yeah, we go on. So here we are, Ruth chapter 2. And uh, if you're seating, seated comfortably, comfortably, Hang on, I'm not getting my words out very well this morning. Are you sitting comfortably? Yes. Uh, so, I will begin. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Limelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And when you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, 
I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of your servants. In the meantime, Boaz said to her, at mealtime, the Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in some wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her. So, Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she'd gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she'd had enough to eat. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The man, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He's not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative, for he's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Apologies for some words slipping off the screen. That wasn't in my version, but it's happened in transferring to this particular computer. Never mind. I want to look at two things this morning. And firstly, and it sounds rather harsh, but I want to look at the sovereignty of God in this story. Because as we read this chapter, behind the scenes, you get a real sense that God is at work. Unseen, almost unnoticed. But when we look at what happened, you can see that God is sovereignly controlling what happens here. So let's just go through that and see what, what happened. We're looking at the sovereignty of God. First, there's God's timing. Now, Ruth and Naomi arrived back in Bethlehem at harvest time. Now, they'd come from Moab. It was a, a, a long, hot, difficult journey. Do you think that Naomi particularly sort of thought in her mind, well, if I, if I leave today 
and I do so many, so much distance each day, I will get to Bethlehem at harvest time. I very much doubt that was in Naomi or Ruth's mind. It's just that when they arrived and the people said, oh, it's Naomi, it's Naomi, it was harvest time. Who planned that? Because it was the best time for them to arrive. They were poor. They were going to need food. It was absolutely the right time for them to be there. So the first thing we can see in God working behind the scenes is his timing. Secondly, Ruth said to Naomi, I'm going to go into the field and pick up the grain. So she went into a field. Now, I don't know what's in your mind as you hear the word field, but you probably think of the sort of fields that we have. You know, maybe there was a hedge or something around, and, and, it, and it's a sort of a normal type of field. Well, actually, in those days, it was quite different. There was most likely one enormous community field. And people from the village owned different parts of the one field. So there, there is Ruth. She said, I'm going into the field. And the word in the Hebrew is in singular. I'm going into the field and I'm going to pick up grain. Now, Naomi had already told her about sort of Boaz, anyway, or th that she should do that. So Ruth goes into a field. It could have been anyone's field. But guess whose field she went into? A relative. She didn't know. So who organised that? Has to be God, doesn't it? It just has to be. So she ends up in the right place. And as it's harvest time, there she is, she can pick up the grain following those that were harvesting the crop. Now, this is something that the, the Old Testament law laid down. That when it was harvest time, the men and women who were doing the harvesting, they, they could gather the grain, but whatever grain they dropped, they were not allowed to go back and pick up because that was left for poorer people. So we see here God's care for the poor. And even, even, if, even if they left a whole sheaf behind and got to the end of, of the session and thought, oh my goodness, we've left that there, they were not allowed to go back and get it. Why? Because God meant the poorest to have it. So here is God's faithfulness to the poor and especially at this time to Ruth and Naomi. 
God's timing, in God's place, with God's faithfulness. Amazing. I mean, the whole concept of gleaning, uh, we, we, you know, it's a bit dif- different for us. But that's what they were uh, allowed to do. So it was for the poor. And of course, Boaz comes along and introduces himself. Now, as we said, of all the places where Ruth could have gone, she went to Boaz's field. And it's as if God is saying here, I'm going to knit you into the right family. Another aspect of God's overruling. All of these sort of flow together. And finally, there is this whole concept of kinsmen, or as the, the latest NIV translation says, guardsman, guardian, but let's keep to kinsman, redeemer. God is going to be faithful to his word here. Now what is a kinsman, redeemer? Now the law said this. Pay attention, folks. This isn't easy. The law said this. If two brothers live together and one brother marries and then he dies without any children, the other brother should marry the widow and the firstborn son is reckoned to be the the heir of the first brother. Are you with it? Carrying on the sort of family name. So, because carrying on the family name was so important. Now, you've only got to stop a minute to think that's a bit complicated. Because suppose the other brother had married while the first brother was married This wasn't a law for the second brother who was already married to then go and marry a second wife. No, no, that's not not what God was about. So, what the tradition said was this. A brother died. You first went down the line to the other brothers. If they were all married, you then went to the uncles. And you went through the uncles. But if they couldn't do it, because they were already married and they probably would be, you then went to nephews or cousins. And eventually you would get to someone who was not married and he would be the kinsman redeemer who could marry then the poor lady who'd lost her husband and the first son would carry on the line. Are you with me? (laughs) It's not easy. Right. So, in Naomi and Ruth's family, obviously Elimelech had died, and Marlon, who was Ruth's husband, had died. So, they had to go through the family to find who was a kinsman redeemer, someone who would then be eligible to marry Ruth. As it turns out, 
There were more than one, and that's for another week. Boaz actually was not first in line for that, but that's, that's for another week. It's a bit funny, guys, isn't it? Somebody comes to you and says, you've got to marry this person to carry on your far-flung relative's family name. Supposing you didn't want to do it. <laughs> I mean, it could be, couldn't it? So, well, they made provision for that as well. You could refuse. And what happened if you refused? The poor woman and the man who should have done that, she, hang on ladies, spits in his face <laughs> and takes off one of his sandals. <laughs> and then his family is known as the family of the unsandled. Well, that didn't happen here. But you see, God made provision and his word. How does this apply to us? I tell you what, folks. God has brought people to this place at the right time. Here. He has. Praise God. Excuse me for naming names. Praise God for Peter, who sorted out all the purchase of Five Taylor Square in the right place at the right time praise God that Nigel bless him we do bless each other (laughs) that a redundancy has meant that he can take over the building project God's overruling God's timing is immaculate and we could say other people here for different reasons you come here You've come to your town. You've come to where you live at the right time. God has led you at the right time to the right place. And you may not even have thought it. Praise God for that. You, can, you may think, God, what do you want me to do? Well, he wants you to do something because he's put you here and he's put you in that place. And it may be in Beckles. It may be in Bungie. It may be in Halesworth. It may be wherever. Beyond. But it's the right time. Praise God. He leads you and me. And I tell you what, he's put this, this church in the right place at the right time. And we're going to believe that. And he's proved faith, faithful. Ruth proved God's faithfulness because she could glean, get the grain. And God's proving his faithfulness to us. And I tell you what, he's never let us down and he's never going to let us down. You're never going to let us down. We sing it enough. It's true. He won't let you down. That does not mean it's always easy. Let's not mistake this for an easy life. Because hear this, folks, it ain't. Let me let you into a little secret. I burst into tears over there when we sang The Power of Your Love because that was a current song when I went through one of the most difficult periods of my life. And yet God proved the power of his love. And I can't ever sing it without knowing that. 
He'll never let us down. He'll never let you down. He won't. Believe it. He won't. And he leads you to the right part of the family. And I believe people have been led here, not by chance, but by God's design, God's sovereignty. We're here for a purpose. You say, I can't do much. I've been here for donkey's years. I can't do much now. Yes, you can. You can be you as a follower of Jesus. And you can pray. And you've got still people that are your age and peer group that you can talk to about Jesus. No one, no one, no one is a spare part. No one. And God fulfills his promises. As he did with the kinsman redeemer thing and and that's to come still. But God fulfills. What has God said to you? And you may say he's not said anything specific. I'll tell you what he has said. He said, I'll bless you and I'll keep you and I've, I've got a ministry for you. That's God's sovereignty. That's the sovereignty of God. I must move on. I'm taking too long here. The other thing is we see the kindness of God. How is how was God kind to Ruth through Boaz? Look at this. Boaz said, come and gather the, the grain from here, right behind the harvesters. Why was that so fantastic? Because she got the best. She got the best by being there. The kindness of God through Boaz. And she was safe. She was a woman. Without going into details, her place could have been pretty difficult with the harvesters. A single woman, albeit a widow, but a single woman. Not only that, she was a Moabite. And the Israelites and the Moabites were enemies. She was very, very, very vulnerable. But Boaz put her in the safest place. The, the, the kindness of God there. Boaz did more. He said, when you're thirsty, go and get the water that the men have poured, uh, put in the jars. That was a privilege. Otherwise, she would have had to have taken herself off a long way and have missed a lot of the harvesting. But all she needed to do was go to the water that the harvesters used. What a privilege. The kindness of God through Boaz. And then Boaz said at mealtime, come and eat with us. Have some of this bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. Have some roasted grain. And he gave her food. In fact, he gave her too much. There was plenty left over. The kindness of God through Boaz to Ruth. And then Boaz said to his harvesters, well, you could even pull out a few stalks of wheat and leave it for Ruth. Extra, abundance, a lot more than she ever thought she would get. Wasn't God amazing to Ruth through Boaz? Yeah. He was really, really kind. And he's kind to us. He wants you and me to enjoy the richest of harvests.
He's placed us here. Yes, to be his witnesses. Yes, yes, to be his witness in Beckles, Bungie, Halesworth, beyond. But he wants to bless us richly as well. He wants to fill us up with good things. He wants to speak to us. He wants to lead us on. He wants us to know all the goodness that he can give us. And he's put us in a safe place. Ultimately. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you in his presence with great joy. He'll keep you. He will. Sometimes that's hard to hold on to when things are rough and tough and difficult. But he will keep you. He will, he will never let you go. You're never going to let us go, God. He won't. I always, uh, at, at this point, and I think of, of uh, my college meta, um, motto, which was et tenure, et tenure, Latin, which meant I both hold and am held. And we hold on to God, but his hold on us is stronger than our hold on him. And we have a place of refreshment. Ruth could go and get the water from, from the jars that uh, the, the men had filled. But there's always the Holy Spirit for us. You feel dry today. It's hot, isn't it? And you can feel physically thirsty. And you can feel spiritually thirsty. And you can say, Lord, I am thirsty. If any man thirsts, says Jesus, let him come to me and drink. For out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I won't go into that, but that could mean that out of Jesus comes the living water that we drink. And that is, that is the full flow of the Spirit. He won't give you less because you're you. There's equal supply for all of us. So when we say, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me, that's the same for you and you and you and me. He doesn't stint what he gives. And he gives us plenty of nourishment. And ultimately, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Let us come to him and eat. And we're going to eat bread and drink wine and we're going to feed on him in, a, in a just a few minutes and we have the word that we can feed on he can nourish you he, he has everything for you I'm rushing and abundance just as Ruth could pick up even full stalks of wheat so Jesus said I've come that you may have life and life that's half hearted 
No. I've come that you may have life and life that is absolutely full. And if your life's not absolutely full with Jesus, as mine often isn't, then who's at fault? Not the one who's giving, but us who fail to receive. Do you know God's got all these blessings for us? All these good things. He wants you to enjoy the riches of his grace and love and mercy and peace. He will never, ever, 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 ever let you go. You have the refreshing, renewing Holy Spirit for you and me. We can feed, grow, be satisfied and live life to the full. Yes, we can. And thank, thank God, it's not our efforts, but his grace, his goodness, his kindness that gives that to us. As we take the bread and as we drink the wine, there are times when we minister to each other and that can happen today, but let's do it with great, great thanksgiving. Because how has Jesus, or God, done all this for us? By sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and rise from the grave. It's because Jesus died for you. It's because God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son to you, to me. That's why we can enjoy the fullness of God. We can know our sin forgiven. We can know the filling of the Spirit. And we can know freedom in him. Because he, he loved us so much that he died for us. So as we eat the bread and as we drink the wine together, let's rejoice in what God has done for us in Jesus. And praise him because he's worthy of all our praise. He's done it for you. You know, I want to, you know, there are times I want to shout and say, God, come on, you know. Jesus died, Jesus is alive, and he's here. He's here. So let's, let's eat and drink with thanksgiving. And if you have a need, then let someone pray for you. The, the gluten-free is at the front, I guess. Um, uh, but we can do that. Rejoice in how God leads us and is kind to us. And Paul said, the bread which we break... Is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? And the cup of blessing which we bless, isn't, isn't it's a participation in the blood of Christ. Let's share together in all that Jesus did for us. And let's rejoice together and say, thank you, God. You've brought me here and you are so kind. You are so kind. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can rejoice today in your great love and goodness and kindness. Your loving kindness is better than life and our lips will praise you. And we thank you. We thank you today for Jesus. We thank you that he's the bread of life. We thank you that he laid down his life 
for us. We thank you that in his body he took our sin and shame and took that to the cross. And then when he was buried, it was taken all away. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. And thank you, Jesus, that you're alive, that you're here, that you're with us. And even right now, you have good things to give us that you can be honoured and glorified. So we thank you for the bread which speaks of your broken body. And we thank you for the wine that speaks to us of your poured out blood. And we receive by faith all the benefits of the cross. Our forgiveness, our freedom from shame, healing, restoration, renewing. We receive these things by faith. And we say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Amen.